we're looking at verses 1 through 7 this evening as we start into these letters to these seven churches that were there in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And um, I want to start by reading the text here. I want to look at the letter, you know, in its totality, these seven verses. This is Jesus Christ, um, again, telling uh, John to write these things. Uh, well, he remember he told the angel, the angel told John, they're written and they're here for us, for his servants. And these are the things that are. Remember last week we saw the outline of the book, right? The things you've seen, the things that are, the things that will take place after this. These are the things that are. This is a letter to the churches, not only to those seven specific churches, but we'll see tonight that what we find in these seven churches is really a timeline of the church over the last uh, uh, 2,000 years, that each of these churches they match up perfectly with periods of history and so forth. And then also, these letters are written to, to the church today. And uh, oftentimes, a church will reflect one of these letters more than others. But every one of these letters has exhortations, encouragements, equipping, as well as corrections for his church. And so as we look at this, we want to keep all that in mind. But we want to take this in personally, us as individuals, as well as us as a local congregation and a local fellowship, we want to have an ear to hear. In fact, we'll see with each of these letters, it says, he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying, let him hear. And I'm praying tonight we have an ear to hear. Can we say amen to that? So let's read the, the, the text, and then we'll set this up a little bit more and then make our way down through this. We've got a lot here to cover, so i got to speed preach or do something up here. So it says, to the angel, you're like, I thought you already did that. So... <laughs> To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and found them liars. You have persevered and have had patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then he says here in verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of god now what we're getting here in part are progress reports to these churches um and you know you're foolish to ignore a progress report especially when the stakes are eternal and these are four or these are seven in chapter two and three we get seven you could call them progress reports for these seven churches that were in asia minor now, we've been talking about these churches. This is awesome. And this is the great thing when you go through the Bible verse by verse and you're a church that teaches expository through the Scripture. We've been talking about these churches on Sunday morning in the book of Acts. We saw recently in Acts 16, Paul desiring to go to Asia Minor, which again is where modern-day Turkey is, to go and evangelize and preach the gospel and begin to plant churches 
And it's interesting, upon Paul initially wanting to go, we read in Acts 16, 6, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. They were forbidden to go. It wasn't time for them to go yet. Remember, right after this, Paul gets a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And it seems that they were more ripe for the gospel at that time. Paul went there, but eventually, after going there, the Lord would open the door for him to go to Ephesus to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, it's one of the churches that we're reading about here. It seems that it was the first place where the gospel was planted there in Asia Minor. And once Paul got there, beautifully, the gospel exploded not only there in Ephesus, but out to all of Asia Minor, and several churches were planted. We read this recently in Acts 19.10, It says, this continued for two years, and all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both uh, the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So they got the gospel out to all that were there in Asia Minor. This is quite a feat considering they had no radio, no TV, no social gospel, no printing press. This was individuals getting saved, getting equipped. And going out and sharing the gospel with others, with individuals in the public square, in the synagogues, and so forth. And beautifully, listen, it wasn't just them sharing the gospel, but we read in Acts 19, 26, uh, as they were, you know what, trying to strum up or to, to drum up a riot against Paul, the silversmiths there, because so many people were turning from idols to the Lord. You know, we get a commentary here from a guy named Demetrius, who was not a believer, but again, an idol worshiper, a pagan. He said, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people. And so he's acknowledging the gospel that had been preached through Paul and others that he had raised up to preach the gospel had not turned a few, but it turned many people from pagan idol worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it wasn't that they were just getting the gospel out there many people were turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, this is years later that these letters are being written, probably some just rough timeline, I should have got the exact number, but maybe some 35 to 45 years later. It's 95 AD. We know Christ was crucified probably around 30 AD or so forth, so this is about 65 years of the church being birthed. And so forth. These are rough numbers right here, just off the top of my head. Jerusalem, though, in 70 AD, 25 years earlier, had been, uh, you know, it burned down by Titus and the Romans. And there was no longer a church headquartered there in Jerusalem that we've been reading about in Acts. But now there, Asia Minor had become one of the epicenters of the Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity. And so it's for one of the reasons why these letters are being addressed to these churches because they have now become major players, so to speak, in evangelism and spreading the good news, not only continuing to spread it where they were, but out and beyond Asia Minor there where they were at. And so, again, these letters were written to them, but as we already touched on, they're written for us. And praise God, His Word is everlasting. It is written to every generation And hear this, we haven't evolved past it. If anything, we're on a massive downgrade and need to hear it more than ever. The truth of God's word. And we we are in a a nation that is 
in, in so many ways, hardening its, hardening its heart to the scriptures. And that needs to turn and that needs to change. So many people stand in judgment of the scriptures when it should be us stepping back and letting the scriptures judge us so that we can get shaped and mold and formed by the Lord. We're wise to, again, consider our own walks and consider this fellowship here in light of what's written in these seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3. Wise to do it, again, knowing God loves His church. Again, remember, He's in the midst of His church. This is God's heart for us. This is instruction for us. He wants His church to flourish. These instructions are not given to take away from us, but that we would respond, that we'd abound all the more in Him. And again, He encourages us, and there's times that He corrects us. And we want to be a people that can be correctable again first peter four seventeen it says judgment begins in the house of god there's a judgment coming upon this world but god always deals with his own first and then we saw last week or a few weeks back in revelation 1 3 again this includes these letters that we're looking at it said blessed is though blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things that are written in it for the time is near and i think that's especially applicable to revelation 2 and 3 and these seven letters we find in there where there's so much specific instruction given to followers of jesus christ and so it's not enough just to read this and to hear it but god's saying go and walk in it be doers of this word keep this stuff apply it to your life and you're going to be blessed are are we pro blessing here tonight i'm I'm pro i want to be blessed by the lord he says well walk in my truth hear it you know what, listen, hear it, and then keep it, and hear this, there's nothing God that God calls us to that He won't empower us to walk in if we're truly yielded to Him and wanting to do that. So again, it says here in the first verse, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. And so we saw last week that, again, there were these angels that were represented by seven stars that were in the Lord's hands, And we saw that each church had an angel assigned to it or oversaw it. And these angels, as we touched on, they're not to be worshipped. They're not to be prayed to. You know, we need to even be careful with being overly fascinated with them and so forth. We read there in Hebrews 1.14, they're ministering spirits. Sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. And who are those that will inherit salvation Everyone who's called on the name of Christ, who've named Jesus as Lord, and they really put their faith in the Lord. And uh, hopefully that's all us here tonight. If you haven't called on the name of the Lord, praise God, today's the day of salvation. He wants to meet you where you're at. And then Psalm 34, 7 says about angels, the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him, and he delivers them. So he has ministering spirits to us as individuals, as well as churches local church bodies and so forth and he says when we walk in a fear of him and a fear of him is someone that gives reverence to god they put the lord first in their decision making they believe the word of god what it says about blessings as well as what it says about repentance and you know what things he's called us to shun and to repent from and so forth when we walk with a fear of him there's even all the more of an encampment of god's angels around us and then i love ephesians 6 how it goes into the detail of a spiritual battle that's taking place around us 
there in Ephesians 6, it talks about powers and principalities and the wiles of the devil. And it's easy to get overly focused on that and to forget that, okay, number one, Jesus is above all this stuff. It's a mismatch. But also, as there's this demonic activity, there's also angelic activity. And what's fascinating is when we were going through the book of Daniel, we read about some of that angelic activity and spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. And we also read about in the last days that activity heating up. And I really believe that the wars in the heavenlies are more, you know what, uh, uh, engaging or, or uh, you know, taking place than ever before. Uh, because we are near the end of the age. Remember we read about Michael, who is the, the, the angel there over Israel, that in the last days he would rise up for his people. And then we're reading again about these, these angels over these churches, and we're going to soon move into chapter 4 and you know at the Great Tribulation, and yet we're getting insight into these angels over every church. And so let's keep that in mind, that we're in the Lord's hands. And yes, there's a spiritual war going around us, but it's not a mismatch. And so we got to know that, that, you know, what, there's, there's, there's a specific angel or angels assigned to refuge church on Portola Road. And listen, that's not just the, 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 the property here. That's the folks that are part of this fellowship and so forth along with those ministering angels that, you know what, God has in our lives and so forth. Again, we don't want to be overly, you know what, uh, uh, drawn to that. Some people get real weird with this stuff. There's no reason for it. I think it's just something to rejoice in and an assurance that, you know what, we're in this battle, but, but we're not shorthanded in it. Listen, the enemy are sold. Satan works, he works hard to make us think that we got the short end of the stick or he has more power. Our, our God conquered him when he rose from the grave. And we have authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given his angels, again, to engage in this warfare as well in the heavenly. So, again, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, talked about this angel. And then again, to the church in Ephesus, we kind of did an overview of Asia Minor. And, you know, what Paul eventually getting to go into this region and how the gospel spread. But we've also looked specifically at this church in Ephesus. Again, we know that it was founded by the Apostle Paul. And then John, who is writing this letter, actually later on would become the overseer of this church. So listen, they had some pretty awesome pastors. You know, who's your pastor? Well, our founding pastor was the Apostle Paul. Then the Apostle John came in, you know. You ever see like a church website and it will say founding pastor and has the guy in there, you know, Apostle Paul on the website, current pastor, you know what, the Apostle John, pretty awesome. We saw this church though remember it was founded with 12 individuals that paul came across there who believed but didn't even know there was a holy spirit and paul laid hands on them they received that baptism of the holy spirit and then paul had a school there for a number of years teaching them god's word all of god's word they began to reach out to all asia minor through a bunch of series of events eventually those seeds birth forth salvations a revival happened there and again, in this city that was a large city, it was a wealthy city, a main seaport. It was also full of idol worship. And we saw there in Acts that they were a people that worshiped the queen of heaven. And we already touched on, you know, Demetrius, a silversmith who tried to start a riot 
because he was so upset that so many people were getting saved, his idol business was not doing what it did before. Again, how do, how do cultures get changed? They get changed when people's hearts get changed. And these people were getting saved. It changed their culture. And it didn't change. I, I know after that, no doubt it had a change on the politics and so forth. But it didn't start there. It started with the gospel being preached. And these people getting saved out of paganism and witchcraft and so forth to the point where it says that they brought all their books they used for witchcraft and they burned them and it had the value of 50,000 pieces of silver. A great revival. And then there was pushback. There always is, you know, with spiritual warfare and so forth. And then when Paul finally left, we read there in Acts 20, and we'll read this probably in detail here in a little bit, how he told them, you know what, I've declared to you the full counsel of God, but I've warned you for three years with tears that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in. In fact, he said they're going to come from the outside. They're also going to come from the inside. They're not going to spare the flock, and their aim is going to be to draw disciples after themselves versus wanting to see disciples of Jesus Christ. And Paul gave them a charge you need to be watchful and alert and you need to contend with this. We're going to see, and we read already, that they did do that. That they stood guard, they watched over the doctrine of this church and the gospel truly being preached and so forth. We'll see the Lord commending them, in fact, in that. But they did have some stuff the Lord wanted to correct. One of those things being they left their first love. And so that's the actual church of Ephesus at that time. So this was written to them. This is written for us. And what's also interesting is that this church, it clearly represents the first century church. If we looked at these seven churches in a historical timeline over the last few thousand years. And that we see that they were laborers. They went and they worked hard. And really God used that early church to lay the foundation. The foundation of doctrine and the gospel of Jesus Christ and so forth. And yet by the time that first century began to close they were a people that had worked so hard in a way they had lost some of their love for the lord because they were so focused on the work they they had almost become more like martha who you know had asked the lord to rebuke her sister because she was busy doing all the work while mary was doing what sitting at the feet of jesus loving the lord and you look historically and and, and you just see a parallel with Ephesus and the first century church just as the last church the letter is written to the church of Laodicea which is a church that is lukewarm a church Laodicea means man's opinion a church that is mixed God's word with man's opinion and God says you think you're rich but you're poor you're naked you're blind and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you are lukewarm that's pretty much the church of today it's not every church but it is a picture of much of Christendom today to the T. And you'll see that with each one of these churches, how they fall into a historical you know, a timeline. And this is where many even people move with a pre-tribulation rapture view, that it covers the church age. And then chapter 4, we see a picture of the rapture. And then we enter into the great tribulation. So from a pre-tribulation view of this, now, he says, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Who's speaking here? It's Jesus Christ. This is who's talking. He is the one 
again, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And again, he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And the seven golden lampstands, remember, they're symbolic of these seven churches. So this is the Lord talking. Proverbs 12, 6 says, His words are pure. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 talks about his word being a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and it says that we will all give an account to the word of god to the word here the word spoken so listen let's not take these words lightly tonight also we talked about this last week it's incredibly encouraging again these stars are in his right hand he's in the midst of his church and praise god he holds his church together ultimately we read in matthew 16 18 the gates of hell will not prevail against his church and we also read in john 10 that not only are these angels in his hands but let me ask you tonight is jesus your lord can you say amen to that we read that we are in his hands i love it he says in john 10 27 my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me and i give them eternal life and they shall never perish Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And I'll tell you, His hands are mighty. It says, in fact, the span of His hand, uh, that heaven could be measured with the span of His hand. And that, in a way, is even figurative. You know that song, He's got the whole world in His hands? No, nah, it's all in His hands. You know, that... that that, that, that doesn't even begin to paint the real picture of the awesomeness of our God. And isn't it awesome to know tonight that in Christ Jesus, you are in the hands of the Lord. Man, take assurance in that. And again, he's in the midst of these churches. And we saw last week there where Jesus said in Matthew eighteen twenty, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. Just two or three folks getting together. The Lord says, I'm in the midst of them. He's in the midst of his church when they gather together. Listen, though, beware. Let's make sure when we gather together, it's not in the name of church, but it's in the name of Jesus Christ. Because he says, I'm in the midst when they gather in my name. And I don't got time to read it all, but Paul wrote a letter to those in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, he said, your coming together is not for the better. And then that church to Laodicea, in chapter 3 of Revelation, he says, I'm, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. They push Jesus out of their midst. And so it's so important when we gather together, whether it's two or three of us, or gathering together like tonight as a church, that our focus is on Jesus Christ. Again, giving Him glory, opening His Word, wanting to be a church that is Jesus-centered so that we indeed know that we are gathering in His name not in our name, not in the name of Refuge Church or Pastor Steve or whatever else, but in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Now he says here in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who say they were apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now the Lord's going to give them a correction here in a minute, but I love it. He starts with encouragement. He starts with the good before he gets into the bad, so to speak. And this is good counsel. You ever have to go to somebody and bring a correction or a rebuke? Always good to start with a positive word. And then now let's talk about what needs to be addressed here. We see the Lord doing that with us. He's so good to us and gracious to us. He knows we're but dust. So he says, I know your works. And this is good news. I guess it's bad news if 
there's not many works there. We are saved under good works. By grace, we are saved through faith, not of ourselves, but we are saved under good works. We read in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and he knows those works. And beautifully, listen, he doesn't just know the works that everyone else knows. A lot of times people work and they'll do their work under the Lord, but only under the condition that everybody knows. I kind of chuckle when you see, you know, it used to be in the newspaper or online or something, some church, and they got like a big old check and they're handed it some food bank or something. Like everyone needs to know what we're doing over here. Well, listen, the Lord knows. The Lord also said your right hand, your right or left hand, I can't remember which one, shouldn't know what the other hand's doing. Otherwise, you got your reward right there. That's your reward, the big check given. You know, there's your reward right there. You just lost your eternal reward, but you got a big hand clap from the peanut gallery. Well, look, they gave a check. They raised $900 in the bake sale, and, you know, they gave it to this church, whatever. But listen, the Lord knows your good works, and he knows the ones that no one else knows. And I, have, I actually think that's probably the best of the good works, the prayer closet when no one's watching helping an individual when no one else is around, getting into the Word of God and worshiping, not where everyone can see you, do a jumping jack in front of everybody. You know, sometimes, sometimes people like that attention and whatnot, but you're just worshiping the Lord and the, you know, it, when you get up in the shower because you love the Lord. The Lord knows those good works. And we read about Him rewarding those good works. You know what, again, we have salvation through Him, but He speaks about rewards and glory when those works are done unto the Lord. He says, I know your labor. The word labor here in the Greek, it means to toil to the point of exhaustion. When was the last time you served the Lord in some area to the point of exhaustion? And this church had done that. Historically, again, this church had laid the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ for just about all the known world as they knew it at that time. They hadn't sat on their hands. They indeed had taken up their cross to follow the Lord. And the Lord's told us the same thing. He says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me. Nowhere have I read, thou shalt sit on thine couch. You don't find it there. There's times where we're to rest, but we are called to be laborers. We're called soldiers, farmers, and so forth in God's word. Listen, it's okay to break a sweat for the Lord Jesus. To say we're going to get in here and we're going to grind for the Lord, so to speak, and getting the gospel out, administering to kids, and you know what, keeping a facility in a manner that is glorifying to God because it's clean and it's orderly and so forth. God's called us to grind, so to speak, for the Lord Jesus. God says, I know that. He also says, I know your patience. This was a church that had endurance under many trials and tribulations. They hadn't waffled. When the going got tough, they kept going. And I'll tell you, trials reveal much about our person and where our faith is. And it showed that these individuals, this church was truly committed to the Lord. Again, they had a great faith in the Lord. And then he says next to him, and he's greatly commending them, I know you cannot bear with those that are evil. You don't have a tolerance for wickedness. And listen, God says that's a good thing. Many people here today or in the world today would say, well, well that's a bad thing. We're, we're, to, you know, we're, to, we're to have great exceptions for evil. We want to bring actually evil in our midst because, you know what, good is evil today and evil is good today, a redefining of what's good and bad. And yet he says, I commend you because 
you cannot bear those that are evil. First Thessalonians 5.19, and this is going to tie into what we're talking about right here in this section. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. And we're going to see we test all things by the scripture. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And this is a church that had done that. Some of these other churches we read about in these letters as well in scripture, they didn't do that. Many of these churches not only bore with evil, they facilitated it. They welcomed it. You know, like, hey, we're open and affirming to evil. Bring your evil here. We're open to it, and we're going to affirm your wickedness and your sin. Anyone you know what I'm talking about right now? We're open and affirming. You're not affirming the word of God. You're for affirming lies from hell that are going to damn souls. You're not affirming the love of God nor showing the love of God. The love of God is not found in lying to people so they continue in their wickedness. It's having the courage to tell them this is sin. You need to repent of it. Get born again. Get the Holy Spirit so God can begin a new work in your life. For in Christ you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Other churches had affirmed it though and facilitated it. The church of Thyatira which we'll get to maybe in a week or two he says in revelation 2:20. nevertheless there's a few things i have against you because you allow that woman jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols i've given her high time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not indeed i'll cast her into the sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless you repent of their deeds and listen, this is Jesus talking. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and I will give to each one according to your works. That's Jesus speaking. Jesus, Jesus is not a fan of evil. So, you know, praise God. He knows our struggles. He sympathizes. He is compassionate. But he died for our sins on the cross. Not that we would be a people that say positionally I'm right, but practically bring the evil on. But no, we would repent from that and turn from it because it doesn't glorify God and it does not do your soul well. It's not God's plan for us. And in the church of Corinth, Paul wrote to them under the, again, inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, they, they were embracing sexual immorality. There was a guy sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul says, this is gross. The world doesn't even do this. And he says, your glory is not good. Your embracing of evil is not good. And there's people today, they glory in this. There's churches that glory in this. We, we glory in the fact we're open and accepting and affirming to just about any evil out there. That's shameful. That doesn't represent Christ. I would say those churches aren't even churches at all because the book of Jude says if you take the grace of God and use it as a license of sin, you have denied the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said to them, your glory is not good. And he talks about a little, little leaven. It leavens the whole lump. You start making exceptions for that. The next thing you know, it's a free-for-all of sin. And that is not profitable. And some say, well, don't we have freedom? We have freedom to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We have freedom in that we have access to have victory over our sin through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We are called to be a holy people. And we have freedom as well that when we struggle in sin, we can go to the throne room of grace 
and bring that before our Lord who says, confess that, let me wash you, let me pick you up, let's get back to the grind, let's get back to the walk with the Lord. Yeah, there's going to be things we wrestle with and struggle with, but we have the freedom to bring those to the Lord day after day after day after day, and God's called us to do that. So he says, you've tested those who say they're apostles and not, and have found them liars. So they tested individuals that came in. They tested those wolves that Paul talked about would come in there in Acts. They tested them. Why did they do this? Listen, for several reasons, souls hang in the balance. Just so you know, your salvation is based on what you believe and who you trust in. And we saw there in Acts 15, certain men came in. They said they were apostles, and they said, we're sent from Judea. And remember, they began to teach that Jesus wasn't enough to save you. You also have to do all these works. That was a false gospel, a false Christ, as well as a false spirit. And they tested that. Paul was the pastor at that time. And it says he didn't put up with it for an hour. He said, this nonsense is not coming into this church. We're going to stand in truth and the gospel that saves people, not this false gospel, this false Christ, and this false spirit. And then remember, they took it to Jerusalem and we read there later on in Acts 15, 11, that they affirm, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith, not by anything we do. We're not co-redeemers. It's only the Lord. So again, they tested these things for the sake of salvation. Doctrine is not a small thing. Again, we are saved through faith in Jesus according to the word. And we'll see in a minute here, there's a lot of false Christ. And when false Christ come and false gospels come with a false spirit, if people anchor their hope in that versus the Jesus of the Bible, they are not forgiven. And if they die in that state, they're going to spend eternity in hell. That's a big deal, is it not? That's not a small matter. Also, listen, lies and liars and false teaching, it can lead people astray. And we referred there in Acts 20 where he talks about these men coming in to try to draw people away from being disciples of Christ to themselves. So he's commending them that they tested these things. And how did they test these things? Was it, I got a feeling. Now listen, there can be times when the Lord does give us a feeling and confirmation and the Holy Spirit can put a red flag up in us. But listen, they tested these things by the word of God. They followed that example of the church in Berea. When Paul came to them, it says in Acts 17, 11, that they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Listen, a true man of God, a true church of God, a true pastor of God is going to teach the true word of God. It's in a complicated book. These things are simple and they are plain so the reader can read them and understand them. And so false apostles had come in, wolves and so forth, and when they brought false gospels in, they tested it and they said, hit the road, you're not bringing that in here. And any true shepherd of God is going to do the exact same thing. And when you find pastors making provision for false gospels and false Christ, they are not shepherds of God. They are hirelings or wolves in sheep's clothing themselves. Now listen, in some cases, well, back up a second. We're called to do the same thing today. In fact, we're called to do it more than ever as we've been talking about Matthew 24 and the Lord speaking of those signs that would greatly increase before his coming, the thing the Lord touches on more than anything is deception. 
The last few weeks we talked about some of the deception that's in the world today. Do, do you understand there's a lot of deception in the world? Our, is our head in the sand tonight? We can look around and see it, right? As well as great deception that will come into the church. He talks about false prophets and false Christ. And the word talks about false doctrine. And you know what? Individuals abounding, peddling it. And we got to test what's out there. And listen, in some cases, this is easy to do. And my aim here tonight is not to pick on certain sins, but there are certain sins that are being used by Satan to try to destroy God's church. And one of those sins is the sin of homosexuality. And you see it coming in like a locomotive into the church and being accepted and facilitated. And again, this idea, we accept this, so we're the loving folks. But you don't see it in God's word. Listen, God created men and women and the guides for sexual relationships that God approves as one man and one woman in holy matrimony. Everything outside of that is sinful. And yet you see this coming in like a locomotive and you see this false doctrine coming in and beginning to take over much of Christianum. This is from three articles this week. This is the headline. Lutheran Church to host queer camp this summer for LGBTQ teens. Another headline. Methodist Church seeks to ordain drag queen into pastoral ministry. Another one. Church elders under fire for threatening to expel mom who left husband started dating a woman. Shame on them for doing such a thing, being biblical. The scripture talks about this being sin. In Romans 1, it speaks about this in great detail, how God would give them over to, you know, it deprived minds. Women would go after women, men would have to go after men. And then it goes on to say about those that approve of such things being in the same abode. This is gut check time. Do you approve of these things? God does not. Well, I believe in the Bible myself, but I'm good with them doing that. The Lord isn't. You know why? Because if you practice such things, you can't be a follower of Christ. And Jesus went to the cross to save souls, to see people repent, to see them get born again and saved. I've said it many times myself. Listen, I accepted the Lord as a young man, a young child, but I drifted for many years away from the Lord. And I was a practicing fornicator when I began to be stirred to come back to the Lord. And the last thing I needed was some liar in a pulpit saying, you can practice that and follow Christ. That was destroying my life and the life of many others. I needed a man of God to preach the word of God and say, this is sin. You need to repent of it. And it's the same with all these sins. And if you're tonight where you say, I approve of this, you are walking contrary to God's word. This is not what God has for people. Listen, some of these other things you got to dig in a bit. And I don't have nearly as much time to talk about this as I wish I had. This has been my heart to talk about for a while. There's a, there's a, 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 a uh, it's on the YouTube and other places. There's, there's this, uh, like it's a video series. It's supposed to be eight series, whatever. It's called The Chosen. Any you guys heard of that? Any you guys been watching that? I'm not here to shame anyone that's been watching that. But someone had told me about that and they said, you ought to watch it. I watched about like 30 seconds i'm like jesus is a weirdo this dude seems like an effeminate they're adding all kinds of stuff to the bible i just got a check in my heart 
It took me 10 minutes to find out the thing was Mormon. It's a Mormon production. And they brought in a supposed Christian who, by testing the word of God, is not a Christian at all. A guy named Dallas Jenkins, whose father helped write the Left Behind books with Tim LaHaye. So we're going to put an evangelical out here who wants to partner with Mormons to present this Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. They're presenting the Mormon Jesus. And I know some of them say, I watched this though, and it seemed, yeah, they're adding a lot of stuff, but it's biblical. But out of this guy's admission, he's saying it's the same Jesus. Do, are we that star for entertainment that we're going to say, I won't watch it anyway? Do you know the depths of wickedness that's found in Mormon doctrine? How the enemy so bad wants to mix Mormonism with Christianity? Wants to begin to blur lines? That group desperately wants that. Hear this tonight. I'm no stranger to Mormonism. Praise God, I was raised in a Christian home. My father was not. He was raised in a Mormon home. His great-great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, had 13 wives and murdered hundreds of individuals in the name of the Mormon church. He was what they call the captain of the Danites. He was both Joseph Smith and Brigham Young's bodyguard. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. They say he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. They teach that God the Father was once a man like you are and ascended to Godhood. Christ came and he ascended to Godhood. They say as God, as, as man is, God once was, as, as God is, man can become. This stuff is, is insanity. They talk about inheriting the planet and women pumping out children to be able to save themselves and then you know what your ultimate goal is to have your old planet where you can have celestial sex with virgins for all of eternity this stuff is sick and gross beyond most things out there now there's a good face and they'll come knock on your door and you know play the christian game they're lying to you i'm on the blacklist they won't come to my house anymore they won't come anymore. And their aim is to try to get accepted by Christians so that they can be on the registry of Christian churches, but with one ultimate goal, to snatch people from Christ to become followers of Moroni, their satanic God. Period. Look, there was a time when this wouldn't even be an issue, but there's so many people, like, well, you know, they seem to love Jesus. I remember when uh, old Mitt Romney was running for president and old Joel Steen was on Larry King. And Larry King says, well, this guy's a Mormon. You know, isn't that a different Jesus? Oh, all I know is he loves Jesus. Dude, you're a pastor of a church. How many Mormons are watching this right now that need to hear about the real Jesus? That needs to hear about Jesus is God. He's always been God. You're only saved through putting faith. It's a different Jesus. You could have broke that down and got the gospel out to so many people. But wolves will be wolves. Again, just so you know, I'm like, I'm running out of time up here. I don't I need like another hour or something. But this guy's interviewed. Um, Dallas Jenkins. It, this is a, on a podcast called All In, an LDS living podcast <laughs> i just read a little bit of it. this is the the person running the podcast she says 
or he at Morgan Jones. In the past few months, there have been a good chance you've heard or watched the show The Chosen. You may not have heard that several Latter-day Saints have been involved in the show's creation. It's, it's a Mormon company. It's a Mormon production company. They produced the Book of Mormon for the Mormon church. The, the owners are Mormons. He says, uh, so he talks about this. He talks about Mormons actually being skeptical because they brought this evangelical in. <laughs> and then she starts the interview with this, or he, whatever this person is, with this Dallas Jenkins character and says, first of all, I just want to establish right off the bat, Dallas, you're a member you're not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which the majority of our audience are members of the church. I've been told you're a fierce defender of the Latter-day Saints' belief in Jesus Christ. And that is why, and that is something, honestly, on behalf of all of us, I just want to thank you for. But why is it that you're a defender of our belief in Jesus Christ? It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It ain't even close. He says... Great, so you're starting me off out of the gate with that one. Ha ha. Well, that's a tough question. No, it isn't. Isn't it tough? I'm happy to answer that and just say that because I've recently gotten a little bit of trouble in certain circles because I was on another LDS podcast and I said that, hear this, LDS and evangelicals love the same Jesus. This is a different Jesus. Being rolled out as the same jesus like well i haven't you know it seems like the jesus of the bible at this point well, what's season six gonna look like plus they're adding all this stuff pedal bringing out this effeminate jesus in my opinion this dude's off he says i got some heat from people who suddenly didn't want to watch the show anymore because of that <laughs> apparently it's a controversial statement yeah dude you think it's the same Jesus? Yeah, apparently that's controversial. Yeah, they say Jesus was a man created from a sexual relationship with the Father and some other woman. Jesus came and he ascended to Godhood. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Ain't even close. Their gospel is a work based. In fact, they say if you don't affirm Joseph Smith as the prophet of God, you're damned to hell. This is, this is lunacy. I mean, Joseph Smith prophesied there's 10-foot-tall men on the moon. The elders ever tell you that when they knock on their Hey, I want to tell you, our prophet says there's 10-foot men on the moon. Any of them ever say that? He says, apparently, it's a controversial statement, which I guess I would have known that a few years ago. But now I've been working with my LDS brothers and sisters over the last couple of years and gotten to know them well. I've learned quite a bit. It goes on from here. You know what's more sad than this? And maybe these people just don't know. But the Robertsons from Duck Dynasty support, you know, they're on the website. Ah, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, this national Hispanic guy, thumbs up. Kirk Cameron, thumbs up. Amy Graham Lotz, thumbs up. Jerry B. Jenkins, his father, thumbs up. Carrie Job, thumbs up. This one shocked me, Joni Erickson Satata, thumbs up. Praise God, though. I looked at this a couple months ago. There were several pastors that gave it a thumbs up. They guess what? They gave it a thumbs down. Now they're no longer on here because they found out. 
And praise God, they stepped up. You're like, Steve, why are you ranting about this? You know, I came out here, and now you got me all depressed and whatnot and so forth. Because they tested those that were apostles and were not and found them to be liars. Who's the father of lies? It's Satan. His ultimate goal is to get people into hell and to bring false gospels. And this world today is littered with them. Look at this verse here. Where's that at? I'll get fired up about this. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceive Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted you may well put up with it. You can't put up with this stuff. This is deception. We got to believe in the Christ of the Bible to be born again as revealed in Scripture. Not these false Christ. And here you got a guy saying, yeah, yeah, what's the same Jesus? And most people would hear that and not even have a clue. Anyhow, I got to get going here. Verse 3. I don't think we're going to, you know, I was thinking, hey, we'll do two churches tonight. We're like in verse 3 here. Please understand my heart in this tonight. Please understand it. That it's not to up here to get a pick on people. It, it, it's not to come up here and, oh, yeah, you're those people. I want to see souls saved. Jesus said, you know, the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Bible talks about this in great detail. False Christ, false gospels, false spirits, and so forth. Jesus said in the last days, this would explode. This stuff can't be tolerated. It can't be brought in. It can't be ignored. We have to be Bereans testing things by the scripture. Like, I don't want to test things. I just, they say I'm not loving if I do that. No, the word of God says that he who is spiritual tests all things. Do you know that? Now there are unrighteous judgments. I don't know anyone's heart. I can't judge that. Jesus said, don't judge. Yeah, and a few verses later, he says, don't give what's holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before the swine. How do you know the dogs and dogs? Guess what, folks? You got to judge. And you got to be willing to call, be called a bad guy. Oh, that bad guy. Oh, boo-hoo on him. You know, he don't like the chosen one. Why did this guy have to come and spoil it? Because I'm going to give an account before God. Ultimately, you can do whatever you want. You can watch whatever you want. You can do what all you want. But I'm up here to talk truth. And this stuff's all over the place. He says, you have preserved and have patiently, uh, you, you have per- persevered and have had patience and have labored for my name's sake. And not become weary. Again, he doubles up on this. You've persevered. You've had patience. You've labored, again, for my name's sake. And you've powered through. Give us strength, God. It's easy to become weary. We need strength from upon high. And then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. And this is where there is a danger. Yes, we are to be people standing in truth and doctrine. But that can't become our all in all. Our all in all needs to be the person of Jesus himself. Where even in doing these things and talking about these things, the motivation is love. Loving the Lord to say, listen, you're not going to put up this false Christ and say that's my Jesus. And loving souls to the point of willing to say something, even though certain people are going to boo-hoo you and call you a heresy hunter and he's so judgmental. I've heard it all. I want to see souls saved. 
And the truth sets souls, sets souls free. And so again, they'd gotten to this, but they had lost their first love. It, it, it was almost like they're, they're walking in this truth without loving the Lord. It's almost like, you know, they're, they're numb probably because of all the laboring and all the battles and so forth. And it's easy being on the front lines and the grind to get to that place. It's kind of like, you know, getting married and you love your spouse so much. But then kids start coming along and boy, it's a grind raising them, is it not? Can anyone say amen to that? And there's no dates anymore and there's dirty diapers and there's curfews. There's all this stuff and you're just like, oh, Jesus, I didn't know I'd be crucified. Well, you know, having all these kids over and over again. And meanwhile, you got your spouse there. And, and you got to invest in that. And you know what? Go out on some dates and remember, hey, listen, you know what? We're, th- this is God. This is God approved here. This is God approved Intimacy. Stamped by the Lord Jesus Christ, I approve. And so we got to work on that, invest in that, and, and, and keep that in focus. And he tells them in verse 5, remember therefore where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. In other words, get back to your first love. Being excited about Jesus. Worshiping the Lord. Rejoicing that you're saved. Getting in God's word. You know, just praising Him and giving glory. He says, repent, go, you know what, change your direction in this. You become a Martha laboring all the time, but you know, there's a place for that. But you need to be like Mary, getting back to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've gotten away from loving the Lord, get back to it. Our God's so good. He's so easy to love because He's so good and He wants to shower His love upon you. He says next, or else I'll come quickly and remove your lampstand from His place unless you repent. So He's told them twice to repent. Listen, the good didn't negate this. He says, change this. Now, is he saying you're going to lose your salvation? No. But you're going to lose your lampstand. You're going to lose your witness. Truth without love is an ugly thing. You know that? It's really ugly. And there's a lot of people that do so much damage because they say, I stand for the truth. But they don't, love, they don't love people and they don't love the Lord. It's horrible. It's just not a good place. Listen, I think there's been seasons in my life where I've, where I've drifted into that. And it's not that I quit loving the Lord, but I, I you know, had gotten so caught up in this battle. Because for years, listen, I've been fighting these battles, and for years it was just like no one wanted to hear it. Praise God, people want to hear it now. People are waking up. And they're going, yeah, yeah, we've been lied to. And it's glorious to see so many people hungry for, hungry for truth. But man truth without love it's just it does it's just damaging and it wears on your soul and it just sucks the life out of you truth and love though together that's a bulldozer right there man that's powerful that brings the power of the holy ghost people get born again and saved and set free and god's it's joyful too i enjoy coming up here and talking about these sayings and lord and so forth i don't know if you guys knew that but Quickly here, verse 6, but I, and, and we'll, we'll probably about 805, he says, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Notice he said, you hate their deeds, but you don't hate them. It is true. God loves sinners, but he hates sin. And he hated their deeds. A, a Nicolaitan, it, it, it means to conquer people. 
or to lord over. And it was these heavy-handed individuals that had come in and were lording over people versus pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many believe as well they were involved in some sort of Gnosticism where they separated the flesh from the spirit and they said the flesh can indulge sin as all, all they want as long as, you know, in your spirit you acknowledge the Lord. You, 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 that's not biblical. And he says, I commend you on this. Back to encouragement. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans and I also hate them. We'll see, Lord, we in a few weeks there were some churches that embraced this to their demise. And then he closes with this. I can't believe we made it there. He says, he who has an ear, do you have an ear tonight? He who has an ear. Blessed are those who read, who hear, and keep the words of this prophecy. He who has an ear. Are you going to hear this tonight, or are you going to deafen your ears to it? I like that chosen. That Jesus is fine. I'm good with that. What's this guy do talking about the LGBTQs? That's all good. It's not good before God, though. You're going to have a ear to hear the word of God. And in fact, approving, and that is not loving any of those individuals. Being courageous to want to engage them in love and share the truth with them, even if that might cost your reputation down at the water cooler, that's an act of love. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Again, this is where there's personal responsibility. You have an ear to hear. Will you hear though or not? Will you deafen your ear to truth? I say, I'm going to go the Laodicean route. I'm going to mix in my opinion with God's word. Now that looks good. It's not. God says, I vomit that out of my mouth. And he says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we see Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are both saying the same thing. And then he says, to him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst, I love this, the paradise of God. How do we overcome Revelation 12, 11, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and we don't love our lives to death. And that's not talking about being a martyr necessarily. That's saying I die daily. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm loyal to the Lord. I tell you, that's one of the mark of believing in Christ. You're loyal to the Lord. That's where your loyalties lie. Not just on a Wednesday night, but Thursday through Tuesday and all day Wednesday. I'm loyal to the Lord. He is my Lord. I follow the Lord. I blow it sometimes, but my Lord picks me back up. I love him so much because he's gracious and patient with me. He who overcomes, again, they're going to eat from the tree of life. Adam and Eve, after they fell, there was the tree of life, and God didn't allow them to eat from it. We're going to eat from that tree. And we're going to do it forever in the midst of the paradise of God. We don't even have an inkling of a clue of what paradise is. Oh, I went on that resort. It was like paradise. No. That's like Baltic Avenue. The paradise of God is boardwalk. We'll tack in park place. Infinity better. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and give you glory. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your truth, and I thank you that it's written. Help us to stand in it, God. Oh, Lord, I pray if there's any here tonight that haven't called on your name, that they would call on you tonight for forgiveness and salvation. And, Lord, any in that place, Lord, meet them where they are right now and save their souls, God. Let us be found of people walking in truth, 
of walking in love with the Lord. We thank you that you love us, God. We thank you that you're so good. Bless our fellowship, Lord, the rest of this beautiful evening you've given to us. And let us rejoice because we are in your hands and you are in our midst. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you.